I understand the challenges of having 150 students when you are teaching in middle school and high school, but you still need to do your best to try to know who your kids are. You got to get to know your students. Welcome back to Math Teacher Lounge. I am one of your co-hosts, Dan Meyer. And I am Bethany Lockhart Johnson. Hello, Dan. Hey, Bethany. Uh, how are you doing right now? What's your uh, what's your current status? You know, I I okay, I love to read and I have to say that the fact that we get to speak with authors like you don't understand. As a child, if I could have talked to Anna Martin about the Babysitters Club and ask her all the questions that I had, that would have been like, I can't even describe. I can't even describe. But I did write her a letter and she wrote me back. Unfortunately, it was a form letter, but I still have it. But you know what? <laughs> My dreams of talking to authors now get to be realized in the form of inviting them to come hang out in the lounge, Dan. Can you believe it? Can you believe it? And I actually think that this is kind of true, like in general. I've had authors tell me that like on Twitter or something like, oh, reach out, ask me a question. So I think sometimes we put up this wall for them saying, oh, they might not want to be bothered. And all the authors I've spoken with, you know, not counting Anna Martin, who wrote me a form letter, have said, I wrote this because I wanted you to ask me about it. Like, let's talk about it. Right. So I'm really honored that Dr. Joseph, it, I'm getting ahead of myself, Dan, but I'm just so excited she's here today. But I should ask you, sorry, etiquette. How are you, Dan? No, no, let's let's go into that this part of how I'm doing. Yeah, I'm excited too. Uh, this is a special. We're we're taking a break out of our 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 current season around developing fluency, though there will be some applications here and some 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 crossover appeal between the, the theme of the season and our interview with Dr. Joseph. But yeah, I'm excited too. My experience of writing authors to engage with them has been pretty poor. Uh, you know, where like I I wrote the Hardy Boy mystery author Franklin Dixon about all the plot holes in some of the books, you know? I'm sure that went over really well. It was weird that I didn't get like a, at least a thank you back. Like I feel like had that been considered sincerely, it would have improved future Hardy Boy novels. But you know, like not every author is, uh, you know, as generous as uh, Dr. Joseph is here today. So let's uh, let's jump into this. I'll, I'll set it up with by saying that I was at a, a conference room event um, in Seattle a, a few months ago. And Dr. Joseph gave a talk in which she shared the percentages of math attainment for black girls, specifically the number of doctorates that had been awarded to black women um, throughout various years. And we all just kind of marveled in, in, in the room at how low that number was compared to the percentage of black women in the US. And so that, that represents uh, systematic obstacles to the to achievement of black women. And so we're all we're all sitting there in the audience wondering, you know, what can we do about this? Like we are losing people and their mathematical brilliance who we need them and their contributions to our knowledge about math. And we're denying them, you know, privileges and access. Um, and so we're just lucky that Dr. Joseph is able to be here and has studied those exact same questions at quite a lot of length and can share with us um, the answers that she's been thinking about and developing so far. So I'd love to just bring on uh, Dr. Joseph. Um, Dr. Nicole Joseph is an associate professor with tenure of mathematics education in the Department of Teaching and Learning at Vanderbilt University. She is also the associate dean of equity, diversity, and inclusion at Peabody College within Vanderbilt University. 
She has a new book out with Harvard Education Press entitled Making Black Girls Count in Math Education, A Black Feminist Vision for Transformative Teaching. So please, uh, a warm Math Teacher Lounge welcome to Dr. Joseph. Dr. Joseph, thank you for joining us here today. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. Wonderful to have you here. Uh, before we dive in more fully here, could you tell us the story of how this book came to be? Why was it so important for you to do it? Yeah, thank you for that question. So I have spent the last, I don't know, six, seven years, basically doing my own empirical research, as well as gathering and reading um, the other small body of research around Black girls. And so I just wanted it to all be in one place from what I have learned thus far. And what is really interesting, I think, is that I've tried to think about large context. So for example, there's a chapter on curriculum and instruction. There's a chapter on pedagogies. There's a chapter on assessment. There's a chapter that is about speaking to math teachers. Um, so I try to take up a lot of space using Black girls' voices to sort of speak through these different types of contexts. And so we didn't have a text where we could learn as a field what was actually happening with many Black girls in our schools. So is it safe to say that what you saw was a, kind of more of a scattered body of research and also one that needed these kinds of lenses that you brought to it? curriculum, pedagogy, and the like? Was that a large motivation for you in, in this uh, project? Yeah. And to be able to speak to those different contexts, because those are generally the contexts that folks care about. Um, and so, again, being able to try to better understand those contexts through Black girl specificity was a big motivation for you know putting it all together in one text. Yeah, great. So you I'll ask a question that has uh, that, you know, needs to be answered by a book and not by one answer in a podcast episode. Obviously, it's too large for that. But you so you, you showed us all these these uh, statistics of attainment of different kinds of groups of people, including black women. And um, then I just love to dig below like your the work that you have done that feels so significant here is the the interview processes, the ethnographic research, the survey data, all of this to, to figure out like why. Um, can you say a few things about what you found as to the typical experience for black girls in this country's schools and math classes? Yeah, so that answer is complex. Um, there are, I would say, multiple levels. So I'll start with macro sort of factors. And, you know, we can begin with the math teacher education system that we have that first of all, doesn't provide um, opportunities for generally African-American students, Black girls in particular, to have access to high-quality mathematics teachers, um, teachers that understand Black girlhood, um, which kind of goes into another reason around what I'm seeing is that Black girls in society face these stereotypes that are around adultification, around criminalization, and these things are making their ways into math classrooms. So the Harvard article that I wrote called Normalizing Black Girls' Humanity in Math Classrooms goes a little bit deeper 
around the dehumanization that they experience in society, in schools, and now some of my work showing that in actual um, math classrooms. So there are a variety of reasons why those numbers are low. But what I will say is that it is not because they're not brilliant. It is not because their families do not care about education. Um, It is not because they don't know how to do math. So there's a lot of factors that they are facing, the macro ones for sure, um, you know, that are getting in the way. And then, you know, we can talk about the ways in which, you know, individual Black girls have internalized, if you will, these messages across time that they are not good enough, that they do not belong. So those are more of the micro level factors where, you know, if they're internalizing these things, then it's sort of the self-fulfilling prophecy, if you will. It's like, you know, you believe it, you internalize it, and then you start operating out of those beliefs. But patriarchy, anti-Blackness, gendered anti-Blackness, you know, those are systems of oppression that are definitely shaping Black girls' experiences in mathematics contexts. Something that I love is you really, in your book, you really helped set the scene for how invisibilized Black girls are, right? So they're either, like you said, adultified or they're not welcome in the space or they're not seen as belonging in the space. And I felt like, you know, so often when somebody says like, oh, they're invisibilized or it's like, well, what does that actually look like? And you can you talk a little bit about the way that you kind of set that up? Because you kind of opened with that, right? Of like, before we even do this deep dive into, you know, how we create these spaces, we first have to say, wait, uh, there's not even a space for them here. So how do you, I felt like you built the space. You, in throughout the course of the book, you built the space and started weaving in more and more voices of Black girls. But you first set the scene by saying, the space isn't here. Thank you, Bethany. Yeah, um, let me just say that we've always been here. At the same time, when you think about whose knowledge, whose perspectives get elevated in school mathematics, you know, that's white middle class mainstream perspectives, right? And so The invisibility happens when Black girls do not get to bring their full humanities into these classrooms because their full humanities may or may not look like the scripts or the understandings that a lot of math teachers are looking for. So let me give you an example. You know, my work, Black girls have told me over and over and over again, we want to have humor and to be more in a, a more relaxed and social environment while we are engaging in learning math and doing math problems or whatever. Um, we also want to have a connection with our math teacher. So I've kind of have called this like they want to vibe with their math teachers. So And you emphasized it was authentic and authentic. Authentic, yes. yes. So they've said, you know, I want to be able to talk to my math teacher about what's happening with me. And it may not have anything to do with math content, right? 
So we know that in a lot of math classes, I don't care what state you are in, generally you're going to go in and what you will observe and see is like you have to be on task. You'll have to be probably in rows, a lot of memorization, you know, procedures. There's no laughter and joy in these spaces. We have a lot of math education professors now trying to unpack this idea of joy. And I think this is just an intersectionality asset that a lot of Black girls just bring to the table. So if there's not room in your math class for that to come about, then your amazingness becomes invisible, right? And people can't see who you are in these spaces or, you know, what you can do. It's interesting to me, you're describing all, all these ways that society sends downstream, like ideas about blackness and about girls that then get reproduced in the classroom, right? Whether that classroom is a math classroom or an ELA classroom or any classroom, but that math, I wonder if it's true that math has, has a, a particularly hard time cultivating joy because it, extra, we have constructed math in such a way that it's about brute logic. It's like, you know, this step leads to that one and there's this procedure to follow, which I, it just seems like it gives math teachers an extra challenge that to be, create spaces that are hospitable to black girls. They've also got to change their conception of math to accommodate opinions and ideas that don't fit into a neat two column proof or, or the box for the answer, for instance. Do you, do you have ideas for how math teachers can engage in that kind of restructuring process around math or around the way they interact with black girls? So first, let me say, um, I just gave a talk at the Association for Women in Mathematics. And as part of that, I try my best to engage in the conference and not just go when it's, you know, my turn. So I listened to Dr. Pierce, who's a tenured math professor at Duke University. I believe she's at Duke. So I wasn't able to follow along everything that she talked about, but I began to write down words that I heard her using as she was explaining this new proof method that she called uh, method of moments was the proof that she was sharing with the audience. And she would say things like, um, you know, I worked on this problem for 15 years and most of it was failure. I've had lots of conversations with colleagues, you know, reading other colleagues' paper, asking them questions about this and about that, because, of course, she's trying to build upon other people's work. She would say things like, you know, and then I began to get curious about, she even said, and I got tickled about X, right? So I'm just writing down these words because these words are making me know that this is what a practicing mathematician does. And it looks nothing and doesn't sound like anything that we do in K-12, right? So first of all, y'all know that mistakes are not like welcomed in the class. And, you know, just being inspired, you know, from her just helped me. And we actually had a conversation afterwards about, you know, her experience in working on this proof. So I, I wanted to just say that because what we're doing in K-12, it is not in alignment with what I am learning that practicing mathematicians do when they work. So math is hard and 
a lot of it is failure and a lot of it we do need to ask questions. So in terms of what teachers can actually do, you know, I have a framework that's in one of the chapters, the Black Feminist Math Pedagogy. So there's four components. The first one is ambitious instruction. So people are like, oh, well, isn't instruction for Black girls just the same? Isn't it just good teaching? And I tell people, good teaching is when Black girls actually get to experience ambitious instruction. Let's just start there, okay? So let's get rid of the worksheets. Let's engage in problem posing, modeling, using technology, all of the wonderful things that you all know we need to be doing in order to dive deeper into conceptual learning interesting math problems. Let's just start there. But in my mind, that's good teaching. If you want to make it and turn it into transformative teaching for black girls, then you need to add those other three components, which are critical consciousness, humor and academic and social integration and math identities. So if you want to just do good teaching, Just start teaching in more ambitious ways. Black girls will benefit to a certain extent from that for sure. Um, But if you want to take it to another level, then thinking about these other things. So, for example, projects around different math ideas, particularly that black girls might have that are interesting to them, um, can help elevate things like critical consciousness. How do you take the math and develop some ideas and projects around that. Back in the day when I was in the classroom, there wasn't a lot of that. But today there's a lot more curriculum and things that people can use to help us think about these important ideas. And sometimes you don't even have to go outside of your school. Let's just start in your school. Let's take some data, collect some data around like how many black girls are at this school? How many of these black girls are, or and you can even do girls of color, are in the advanced math courses. Let's do some focus groups, some just informal little 10 minute interviews. Like there are ways that you can engage in mathematical thinking that can raise the level of critical consciousness really for all kids, um, you know, but for black girls. And then social and academic integration and humor. I mean, Allow that, allow a more relaxed environment in your class. Now, I'm not telling people to be willy nilly. You got to have a courageous conversation with your students about the pivoting of what you might want to start trying something different and you have to get buy in from the students. But I can guarantee you that when you have those conversations and the students voice are elevated in those things, that it will more than likely turn out to work in your favor and definitely the student's favor. I like circled and starred and highlighted. You had said play, beauty, truth, justice, and love, connecting math to our deepest human desires. And I just thought like even that, the the fact that the essence of what like brings us joy, makes us our whole selves, right? Can all those pieces exist? Can we bring all those pieces of ourself to the mathematics classroom and you as you're sharing and as you're you you shared from so many stories of young black girls and black women that too often they were asked to leave parts of ourselves at the door and i want to share we talked about our math stories in a couple seasons ago and i had um a, a, i had a teacher who told me 
you don't belong here. This is what he said to me. He said, you don't belong here. And um, this was in high school. And I, I, I remember going home and talking about it with my family. And my auntie said, um, she's like, well, they don't want us there. Right. And I said, oh, I don't even think he saw because I'm mixed. I'm biracial. I said, I don't even think he saw me as black. You know, I don't think it was I I wouldn't be surprised if it was about that. But I don't know, you know, that he even read me as black. And she goes, it doesn't matter. She said, you know, what do you do in class? And through the course of the conversation, it it, it just became so clear that particularly the women in my family knew that they were not seen and wanted in mathematics spaces. And, you know, my grandmother told me very clearly, she said, you know, you love to talk, you love to ask questions, you love to share your ideas, but a lot of times you're going to be in spaces, they don't want to hear it. And the voices of black girls and black women in particular are really seen as challenging a teacher's authority, right? And seen as speaking back to this perceived like, well, I'm the, I'm the one who holds this space. You know, like it really resonated with me the way that you gave voice to so many women in the book, women and girls in the book. And I really, I want to spend a little time thinking about what could healing and productive discourse in a classroom look like where it would be safe to raise your hand, where it'd be safe to push back on ideas, that idea of play, of joy, but also of like you said, that ambitious teaching where I'm showing up as my whole self. It means I want to be in dialogue. I want to be in communication. I want to make sense of it in a way that's meaningful to me. Yeah. Wow. I'm, you know, I'm really sorry that, um, you know, that teacher said that to you. Unfortunately, you're not an anomaly, you know, which is very hard to say, but that's what's real. Um, I think for a lot of um, women, black women in particular, it's just not often said out loud, you know, (laughs) so so overtly, right? Exactly. So um, first, I want to just acknowledge Francis Sue. That's Francis's framework that I got inspiration from the play, the joy, the beauty and the love. And I think what healing can look like is, first of all, teachers have to understand who black girls are. So in my talks, you know, I say, listen, you're not going to learn about black girlhood by reading math ed articles. You're just not. One of the ways that you can learn about it is by reading more things from Black girlhood studies. Um, You can actually just talk to your Black girls that are in your class and listen to their stories. I mean, part of what we need to do is we need to engage in more truth telling and more vulnerability. So, you know, that might sound something like, listen, You know, it is really important to me because I've been learning about the disproportionality of black girls in math. And I want to do something to change that. Well, I've been learning that, you know, part of that is I need to get to know who my black girls are. So I want to do that. And guess what? I want to invite you all in to help me figure out how to do that. Do you know what I mean? Bring their voices into the problem solving process so that you're not guessing, 
a teacher is not guessing. They are going to get direct information from the girls. And so I think there has to be a level of humility and vulnerability by teachers um, and a release of power, if you will, to bring black girls into the space to have them tell us what would it look like for you to thrive in this class, right? I think I have ideas, but that might not be in alignment with what you think. So that's definitely an important way is to bring their voices into the space to help us think more about what it should look like. What does healing, you know, actually look like for you? I think it's really interesting what a generational project math education is and in general education. You talked about self-fulfilling prophecies uh, in, in this space. And it's, it's like a lot of teachers were students in spaces of segregation where they don't have experiences with ethnic and racialized folks. And then they go off and teach, you know, in cities, for instance, and what a chat, what a challenge that is. And I guess the, I don't know, the one hope, like one idea that I get excited about here is what you're describing is like personal transformation and classroom transformation going hand in hand. That the person you're describing who has the humility and vulnerability to ask the question already in some form is working towards an answer. That that vulnerability and humility feels like part of what the answer is. And I, I just, I love that about teaching that it offers so many of us the opportunity to enact the professional and the personal at the same time, if we're willing to stare uh, in the mirror and through the window simultaneously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I, I am curious, you know, we have, so we have teachers listening who are very curious what they can do. And I, I love the frameworks that you've offered there and some initial steps around curriculum and pedagogy and involving students in, in the process of transforming their classroom space. I guess I'm, I'm wondering if you have thoughts for caregivers who might be listening in, who are attempting to undo uh, the damage that is done to their, their black girls in the classroom space, like trying to remedy that um, even as they hope for a transformed classroom space for their kids. Yeah. So during COVID, I did a couple of workshops for parents and I put together, um, you know, a little like old school packet, if you will, <laughs> uh, with ideas and a big part of that is integrate your girls into what you do daily that has to do with math. So, you know, everything from, I don't know, budgeting to shopping, to cooking, to planning a party, to remodeling the house, like whatever you do on a daily basis, that's an easy place to start is to just integrate the girls into how you use math. I think another thing is to, and this could be a teacher thing as well, is have your kids interview family members about their math experiences. You know, if granny is still alive, interview granny about her math experiences. So, you know, what did she love about math? What did she not love about math? How was she, you know, treated by the teacher? You know, I think interviews of family members are very powerful because it is allowing the girl to go wider, but still within her own community to get a better understanding of what the math experiences have been. And I think that opens up new conversations, you know, for family members to do that. Um, the other thing that I would say is that if there are math like summer 
programs around STEM broadly. Get your kids involved in those things because it's exposure. Like a lot of the women that I speak to that are in STEM talk about early, early exposure to a variety of things around STEM broadly that oftentimes requires you to have like some math skills, right? The other thing that I really love that I did when I was a teacher was we did math autobiographies. And so I gave my students prompts. I said, when was the last time you enjoyed math? Please tell me about it. What were you doing? What was the math that you were learning? And then I say, and then tell me what happened, like a mystery. Like, I love what that. happened? I love that. Was it middle school? You know what I mean? Like, I want to know where did the breakdown come from? Because that gives me a better understanding of what is happening with them. And it just lets them know that I'm connected, that I care, you know, about their math experiences. The other thing is we use journals. So I am a journal queen. We wrote about math, but we also wrote about like our feelings in math. So what was hard about today's lesson? You know, what would you change if you can, if you could? What was exciting about today's lesson? Now I'm going to tell you, I did all this way before a PhD or a master's degree. I didn't know anything about culturally responsive teaching, but what I did know was that the intuitiveness of knowing my students. I don't know how many times I have to say that, but you got to get to know your students. I understand the challenges of having 150 students when you are teaching in middle school and high school, but you still need to do your best to try to know who your kids are because it makes a difference. And it really makes a difference for black girls because they want that vibe with their math teachers. And they have shared that when they have that vibe, they take more risks. They ask more questions. You know, they want to please the teacher. I mean, like a 16 year old wants to please their math teacher when they see that that math teacher cares deeply about their learning. So, you know, I could go on and on, but I'm going to stop there (laughs) as, you know, some examples. No, it's so, it's really beautiful. And I think sometimes when you, I think when we talk about the macro and we talk about the systems and, you know, you talked about curriculum development or or adoption processes, and sometimes we can be involved in those decisions that are going to be impacting us on that large scale. But a lot of times, I think when we zoom in, like you're inviting us to do, to get to know your students, to let black girls be the experts in their own lives and bring their whole selves while simultaneously you doing the work for yourself as the teacher, as the administrator, as the pre-service teacher. I mean, I feel like in so many ways, it's an invitation to not get stuck at that macro level. All that matters, but we can zoom in. And like you said, on Monday, what could you do on Monday (laughs) that could invite us to create a classroom where girls, particularly black girls, are able to be safe, be vulnerable, take risks, and have those elements of play and joy in mathematics. And we just really, we really, really appreciate the vision you have helped create for that and the way you're holding space and inviting others to to challenge themselves uh, and what they may uh, 
you know, these limitations on what math could look like. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your time thank and you. your, your wisdom. You're welcome. You're welcome. Just want to make sure before we go, any final thoughts you want to leave with our listeners? I think the thing that you mentioned about how we have all of the, you know, the system is so big, it's discouraging. It, you know, like I think saying that as a way to like, but then here are these micro things that you can actually do in the classroom is a really important piece. So how do you, you got to understand this stuff because that's going to inform how you design your curriculum, how you design your uh, pedagogy, but it's really the power is in that classroom. You know, I mean, I would tell students, I can't change a lot of stuff that's happening. I mean, I've taught homeless kids. This is why no one will ever be able to tell me that, you know, that black children can't learn math, right? Because I've had some extenuating circumstances with students and they were still held to the highest level of expectations, but with differentiation and supports, right? Because that's what you we need to be doing regardless but, you know, people will make excuses, like you said, because it's so it feels so big. But there are things that you can do daily. Um, and we talked about some of those inside of your classroom so that you can feel the power. And I'm sorry, but the proof is in the pudding with the kids. So that's the other thing you need to collect feedback from your black girls to ask, you know, is this making a difference? None of us have time to sit up and guess. So why not just directly ask them, is this working? But not just, is it working? How do you know it's working for you, right? So that's bringing in accountability from the kids to give us feedback as educators and teachers. Um, what do we need to get rid of? What do we need to continue doing? What's a new thing that we you know, might want to try? I guarantee you. That if you start doing those things, you're going to see a difference in black girls, I think, engagement, perspectives and feelings of belonging and just wanting to, like, try more and take more more risks in math, which, you know, it's like if you don't have the right answer in three seconds, then you're dumb. You know, that's how we make people feel in math. Glad we asked for more there on that one. I know, me too. That was a, Thank you. That was a meal right there. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you again so much for being here with us today in the lounge. Thank y'all. Thanks so much for listening to our conversation with Dr. Nicole Joseph, Associate Professor with Tenure of Mathematics Education in the Department of Teaching and Learning at Vanderbilt University. And please check out the show notes for a link to her book, Making Black Girls Count in Math Education, a Black Feminist Vision for Transformative Teaching. And let us know what you thought of this special episode on X at MTL Show or in our Facebook discussion group, Math Teacher Lounge Community. Thank you again, Dr. Joseph. Now, Dan, next time, next episode, we're getting back to fluency. Getting back to our, the old us. The old, I mean, but there's so, like, it's all connected. Right. 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 There's so many things she was sharing about that I was like, yes, yeah, you know, it's all connected. Fluency's got to be one of the top areas of a math class where kids feel like there is no vibe with the teacher. There's not a lot of room for joy. And so, yeah, I see those both as being just 
this special episode really linking up very nicely with our main episodes of the season. And actually next time we are going to talk to uh, Lauren Carr, a classroom teacher who, I mean, like actively teaching in the classroom, like the day we recorded the interview, she had been on a field trip with her kids. We were like, oh my goodness. And you still hung out with us in the lounge. This is so real, so real. (laughs) Here's a quick preview of that episode. I think by making space for joy and having fun and having a positive math identity, I think students will be, they will build fluency. Make sure you don't miss our next episode by subscribing to Math Teacher Lounge on any and all podcast platforms. And do us a favor while you're there and leave us a rating or and or a review. And check out Amplify's other great shows at our podcast hub. Go to amplify.com slash hub. Thanks again for listening, folks. See you next time on Math Teacher Lounge. Thanks. Ba-na-ba-da, ba-na-ba-da, ba-na-ba-da.